Thank you for joining us for the Lessons from First Naz podcast. Good morning, friends. I'm glad you're here today. I'm glad I'm here today. I'm glad that we don't have to guess about the Holy Spirit being present with us either, that He moves among His people, stirs our hearts, and and brings us to the place where we can actually begin to have a conversation with Him, with Jesus, and with the Heavenly Father. And I invite you to continue that conversation. Honestly, um, when it comes right down to it, well, I believe that the preaching of God's Word is very important. I don't want it to interrupt a conversation that you may be having with God today. So if you need to, you can just kind of zone me out. You can close your eyes. You can, you can do whatever it is that you need to do. You and, and God's Holy Spirit keep having that conversation. If what I preach and teach about today can become part of the conversation, fantastic. But if you're connected with the Lord this morning, you just keep listening. You just keep talking to Him. Okay? All right. We're uh, continuing our study of the book of Acts this morning, trying to see what life can be like when God actually comes to live in people instead of just ruling over them or sending somebody to walk alongside them. Whatever else is true about the book of Acts, it is about what happens when God's Spirit comes to live in human beings. Uh, We've learned over the last couple of weeks that Jesus was pretty convinced that after his three years of teaching, still no one understood what he meant when he said kingdom of God. Still no one understood what he meant when he said Holy Spirit. And so after his resurrection from the dead, he spent 40 more days saying, pay attention this time, listen close, and, and trying his very best to make sure that his first followers understood that the kingdom of God is not this geopolitical reality, it's a, it's a relational reality and a spiritual reality, and it kind of erupts into this world or descends into it or breaks out into it, however you want to think about that, materializes within it. Anytime three things take place, first of all, when human beings start exhibiting love for God, secondly, when they start showing real love for brother and sister, that at least equals their love for themselves. And third, whenever the followers of Jesus become the witnesses for Jesus and begin to speak the message of his love and his power to transform human lives and tell other people what he's done in their life. When those things happen, you can count on an outbreak of the kingdom of God. Now, whatever else is true of this kingdom of God, it's, it's a, a very close interaction and exchange of, of, of power and love between God and human beings. Let me ask you a question. Do you think that your home could be improved upon? Do you think that the way that life is currently in your marriage and with your kids, do you think that that could be improved upon? Do you think that possibly if there was an outbreak of the kingdom of God under your roof, do you think it could be a better existence than what you're enjoying today? I mean, some of you have great families and great family life, but do you think it could be better if God's kingdom came in your house? I think it could. How about your job? I mean, I know everybody here has perfect jobs, right? With, yeah, kingdom of God, come to my job, please, right? Listen, the kingdom of God can actually come to your place of business if, I don't know, you and or some other followers of Jesus started exhibiting love for God in the workplace. There's a way to do it. A love for your fellow workers in the work. There's a way to do that. And there's also a way to speak about Jesus and his transforming power and what he's done in your life. 
It can be done in your workplace, carefully, guided by God's Holy Spirit. But if you do it, there will be an outbreak of the kingdom of God. Power and love come together. God and humans come together in your workplace. It will be better than your job last week, I promise. You know, it can happen in schools, too, right? As soon as you mention schools in a religious setting, Christians all go, eh, I can't pray in school. Yeah, yeah, you can. And the kingdom of God can come in your school, too. It really can. If you just start demonstrating that you love God and, and that you love other people at least as much as you love yourself, and, and when you have opportunities to talk about Jesus, you don't shrink back and you don't fall silent. If you actually become the witnesses, the people who bear testimony, who step forward, who habitually, remember the sermon from last week, there can be an outbreak, a coming of the kingdom of God in your school. It will be much better than your plain old school. Amen? Yeah. Well, this week we're going to continue with our study of the book of Acts. I think that's a pretty good, uh, pretty good place to start is with a new understanding of the kingdom of God and that it's available to us. Let's see as we read from Acts chapter 1 again this week what the Holy Spirit and people do next because it's a pretty incredible story. So turn to Acts chapter 1. If you would stand with me, please, in honor of the reading of God's Word. I'll be reading to you from the uh, common... English Bible. Um, just, it's, it's not better than all the others. It's just the version that I'm reading right now, okay? Um, and we're going to start with uh, Acts chapter 1, verse 9. Lord, again, we come to you and ask that you turn the lights on for us. That, that not only would you help us to understand the, the flow of the story, but that your Holy Spirit, who brings your kingdom, would also stir our interest and maybe, maybe lift something off these pages that, that we can come to understand is your word to us today. We're listening. Amen. Verse 9, Luke writes, after Jesus said these things, what things, all the stuff that, we, that I just talked about, kingdom, Holy Spirit, power to be my witnesses. After Jesus said these things, as they were watching, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight while he was going away. And as they were staring toward heaven, suddenly two men in white robes stood next to them. They said, Galileans, why are you standing here looking toward heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way that you saw him go into heaven. I wish that the writer would tell us what the people said next or how long the angels stayed on the scene, but we don't. We just hear that there was some kind of break in the action, and then they returned to Jerusalem. They'd been out on the Mount of Olives, it says. They returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, which is near Jerusalem, Sabbath day journey, just half mile or so. When they entered the city, they went to the upstairs room where they were staying. Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, Alphaeus' son, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, James' son. All were united in their devotion to prayer along with some women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. During this time, the family of believers was a company of about 120 persons. Peter stood among them and said, Brothers and sisters, the scripture that the Holy, uh, the scripture that the Holy Spirit announced beforehand through David had to be fulfilled. This was the scripture concerning Judas, who became a guide for those who arrested Jesus. This happened even though he was one of us and received a share of this ministry. 
Luke then adds, in fact, he bought a field with the payment he received for his injustice. Falling headfirst, he burst open in the middle, and all his intestines spilled out. This became known to everyone living in Jerusalem, so they called that field in their own language, Hakeldama, or field of blood. Peter continues, it's written in the Psalms scroll, let his home become deserted and let there be no one living in it. And give his position of leadership to another. Therefore, we must select one of those who have accompanied us during the whole time the Lord Jesus lived among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when Jesus was taken from us. This person must become along with us a witness to his resurrection. So, they nominated to Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also known as Justice and Matthias. They prayed, Lord, you know everyone's deepest thoughts and desires. Show us clearly which one you've chosen from among these two to take the place of this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned away to go to his own place. And when they cast lots, the lot fell on Matthias. He was added to the 11 apostles. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, it's a pretty incredible setting if you just kind of go back into the story. We've got the guys out on a hillside with Jesus. Uh, he's been teaching. They're all just kind of reclined there under the trees and the grass eating lunch. And Jesus says something about the Holy Spirit coming. And one of the guys has a great idea. Oh, old idea. Holy Spirit, kingdom. That means all our political dreams come true. And they all they come in close to Jesus. And they start asking him, is this when you're going to? And Jesus says, guys, guys, guys. When the Holy Spirit comes, he probably won't even pay attention to politics. He might not even get involved in them at all. But he's going to give you power to become my witnesses all over the place. I think this is a, a, a prime setting, a prime opportunity for that kingdom of God that Jesus was talking about to just kind of burst on the scene. And the guys there thought it too, except they had the old, the old uh, wrong notion of it. But I still think they're, with their misguided intentions, there was still a, a great setting there in which the Holy Spirit could have come and, and, and brought the kingdom of God. Because here's all these guys who love each other, and, and here's all these willing witnesses. But there's one thing missing. And it is the Holy Spirit. Of God. We'll learn in a couple of weeks that uh, the Holy Spirit, when He came, uh, really, really, really empowered people to go ahead and speak and become the witnesses. But, but if we need those three things, some love for God and some love for one another and, and a testimony by the power of the Holy Spirit for Jesus to change your life, we're still missing the Holy Spirit from this setting. So the guys broke camp and they headed back across into the city and they hunkered down and prayed because Jesus had said, here's what I want you to do. Don't go back to Galilee in the north. Don't go back up there and restart your fishing business. Don't forget about me. Don't consider this movement over. Go to Jerusalem, that place where you've been staying. Hunker down and wait in Jerusalem until the Father sends you the Holy Spirit that I have promised. So they did. I walked a half mile back over to the city. I've been into the place in, the, in, in Jerusalem where they really believe was that room where about 120 of them would gather. Just 12 this time, but sometimes up to 120 in the, those first days. And we read in the text that they just hunkered down and they prayed all day 
probably most of the night, too. They took breaks because they had bodies and needed food and drink and to go to the bathroom and all those things. But life over those next few days was about prayer. And if we continue to read the calendar that's laid out for us in the book of Acts, we'll find out that they did it for 10 days in a row. Nothing else, nothing else, no other business, no travel, just this, focus on prayer and waiting for God to send who he said he would send. Day one. Probably some excitement. Day two, probably some fatigue. Day three, probably some doubt and some encouragement from other people saying, don't give up. You see how this thing's kind of emerging all day, all night, still waiting. Anybody seen the Holy Spirit? No? They're, they're remembering they saw him one other time, right? When, the, when Jesus was baptized and heavens opened and they saw the Holy Spirit come down and land as though it were a dove, just this gentle settling down upon Jesus. They'd seen the cloud, that, that presence of God up on the mountain of transfiguration. They already had some ideas in their mind about it, how exactly this was going to look and none of it had happened. So they prayed some more and some more and some more. Holy Spirit didn't show up in any way that they had recognized. So while they wait, still being obedient, still hoping, still being human, Peter stops praying and says, you know, I've been thinking about Judas. And you know, underneath, there was, uh, underneath all that, underneath everyone's breath, there was an ugh. Because they had loved that guy and they, they grieved for that guy. And they probably... We're asking God to help them not to hate that guy. You with me? You with you with you real? You being real like like the disciples were? Okay. Peter says, I've been thinking about Judas. And I've been singing the songs that we learned as as kids in the, the temple and in the synagogue. Just kind of the Psalms, just trying to comfort myself. And I remember there's this one psalm that says something about somebody's. Somebody's home should be deserted and no one should ever live there again. I'll bet they were talking about Judas. Because I remember another psalm where it said something about let, let, let some other person take his place. I bet he was talking about Judas. And he starts interpreting these old songs that, that they had learned when they were children. He says, I bet it was about Judas. I bet it was about Judas. I bet what we're supposed to do while we wait for the coming of the Holy Spirit is we are supposed to hold an election. And we're supposed to find a new apostle who will serve alongside us. So how do you think we should go about that? And they, they kind of talked it over and said, well, uh, let's see. He should be somebody who's been with us all along from the baptism of Jesus so that they, they'll know what it looks like when the Holy Spirit shows up. Somebody who didn't give up along the way because there were a lot of people who gave up along the way. Somebody who stays with us and will go with us and can be counted upon. And who was there when Mary came back and said, Jesus has been resurrected from the dead. And somebody who's been at, at those lunch meetings and, and those other times when Jesus has shown up in the 40 days in between after his resurrection, it, it has to be one of those guys, right? And everybody says, yeah, that seems, that seems pretty good. All in, all in favor say aye, aye. And so now they have, they have the, I mean, they're just, they're, they're making good decisions, right? Making good decisions about, about this thing going forward. And then they took nominations and uh, they got a couple of guys and, and one of them with nicknames and... And, and then they literally threw dice. 
Jesus says, wait for the Holy Spirit. They say, okay, I'll, I'll wait for the Holy Spirit. I'll pray some. I'll think about the Bible some. Uh, Got to get organized. So uh, ready, let's go. And they, they set in motion this process that's going to reveal to them the apostle to replace Judas. Do you feel how important that is? And after they've set all their guidelines and got their nominees, they go, and, and Joseph called Barsabbas says, best two out of three. And they said, no, it's, it's the first role, man. And Matthias ends up being chosen as the replacement apostle. It's a pretty good gig, I imagine. Seemed really important at the time. And Matthias then takes his place among these early leaders, and, and, and he rises up in, in, in power and authority, and he begins this very effective ministry that, that makes him very well known in that day and for 2,000 years since, except none of that's true. Matthias is mentioned in this passage, and he is never mentioned again, period, anywhere, ever. But the guy's made a good decision, Right? I don't think so. Jesus said, wait until I send you the Holy Spirit, which implies do nothing else until I send you the Holy Spirit. But here's the problem. They didn't have the Holy Spirit. And so all they could do was the best that they could do while they waited. And so they applied reason and interpretive skills looking at the Bible and really were trying to just kind of feel their way forward and, and as best they could make some good decisions. But I think that good decision didn't really uh, work out all that well because Matthias kind of evaporates from the Christian, uh, Christian mind and memory. Have you ever made a good decision? I mean, one that you really were convinced. You'd considered everything but then after you made the decision, it just didn't pan out. Man, I've made a lot of decisions that I was convinced. That's a good decision right there. I've, I've consulted all kinds of other people and their wisdom. I've applied logic and, and uh, haven't gotten in a great big hurry. And uh, yeah, that, yep, I'm convinced that's the way to go. And poof, it turns into nothing. Dust that just, you know, sand that just runs through my fingers. And I got nothing left for all of my good decision making. You ever made good decisions that turned into nothing? That's what the disciples did. That's what the first followers of Jesus did. They, they were waiting on the coming of the Holy Spirit, and they were doing their very best to stay obedient to Jesus, and they just couldn't quite pull it off, and so they made a good decision that really turned into a whole bunch of nothing. As we continue to read this book, you're going to find out that when the Holy Spirit comes, these guys start making decisions that stick. And they start making decisions that actually change their lives and change the world and, in fact, have written the story of the course of human history since then. What is the difference? The difference is the presence of God among us is, is an incredible benefit for the followers of Jesus Christ because we can move from simply making good decisions to making God decisions. Now let's go back to this business of bringing the kingdom of God into your home, bringing the kingdom of God into your workplace or into your school. How would you like it if not only there were these occasional eruptions of, of, of God's kingdom where, where there was peace and there was love and there was power, but how would you like it if when those kingdom eruptions came, you suddenly made decisions that were something more than your bright ideas and gained some traction and actually started changing the course of your life, your home, your business, your school. 
your friends, your kids. If you could do something, if you had access to the ability to make God decisions instead of good decisions, you think it'd be worth it? Because I do. You want to make God's decisions in your life? Then I want to ask you this morning to consider a way of making decisions. And I'm going to share with you a tool that um, folks in our wing of the, of the Christian church have been using for about 200 years, and I'm going to work with it, and then I'm going to politely and as humbly as I know how uh, disagree, modify it a little bit, okay? Luke's got a, a picture on the screen for us here. This is, uh, this is something that, that our wing of the church the, has, has taught over the last course of, uh, course of the last 200 years as a way to make good decisions, So if you take a look, this uh, geometric figure in the center, among other things that it could be called, uh, like bad art, uh, is is known as a quadrilateral. It just means a shape that has four sides to it. And if you look at it, you can tell that all four sides are are each a different length than the others. Let me just break it down for you. We've got scripture at the base. Why? Because we believe that when it comes to making decisions, that God's word should get the biggest sway in our decision-making. That the the pages of the Scripture in the process through which God's church had to go to to get them, the Old and New Testaments, that together they provide for us the most reliable written source of wisdom for human living. So we give the Scriptures a big old chunk, a big old share of the decision-making model have for the course of the last 200 years. Uh, then if you look um, at, at the other sides of it, you'll see over on the right-hand side uh, something that I've called collective wisdom. The, the theological word for it is tradition, but not just tradition like we always go to my grandma's on Christmas, but tradition in the sense of the collective wisdom of the church down through the ages. Remember, there have been a lot of Christians before you and me, some of whom were very wise, some of whom suffered greatly for Jesus and for his kingdom, and Um, I'm just going to tell you that if your life has been easy, comfortable, and good, and I've got somebody over here who's been jailed and imprisoned and beaten and nearly killed for Jesus, when it comes to field-tested wisdom, I'm going to this guy, okay? I mean, I'm going to listen to you, but I'm going right over here, and I'm going to pay attention to those who have suffered for the faith and who have had lots of time to meet with Jesus in their suffering and depend upon him. There's the benefit, 21st century North American church. There's the benefit of, of being part of the historic church of Jesus Christ, is that we know what the church has taught down through the ages. We have the collective wisdom of the church. Over on the other side, on the left-hand side, we have reason. Reason, if you, uh, if you live in, the, in Western culture, by that I don't just mean the Western U.S., but all of Europe and, and uh, North America... Uh, probably most of Latin America too, reason has kind of come to win the day over the course of the last, oh, two, three hundred years, three, four hundred years. Reason has been elevated by, by the, uh, a series of things that took place in the culture in terms of the development of scientific method and, and that way of thinking, that way of viewing what is right and true and real. And we have said, hmm, reason. That's a, that's, it's really important that you make reasonable decisions, that you apply good old-fashioned logic, that you don't just feel your way through this and let emotions decide for you. Let's make sure that we apply reason. And then if you look at the top, we've also got uh, 
um, uh, an element of this decision-making process that I call listening to God, but which historically, when we've taught this model, we've, we've called subjective experience, which means it's just me, just me and what I think and what I feel and what I, what I, what I might have experienced, maybe, if I heard God right. Traditionally, historically, when we've taught this model, we've said Scripture gets the biggest, uh, biggest part of that, and then the, the wisdom of the church, the collective wisdom of the church should get the next longest uh, side of the quadrilateral because the wisdom of the church is more reliable than my own personal wisdom, and it's more reliable than mere reason. But then we've got two left, and which one of those should get the biggest share in, 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 in the way that I make decisions? Should it be good old reliable logic, or should it be me who kind of you know, blows with the wind depending on how I feel at any given time? And the answer to that, we've usually traditionally said, make sure that reason gets the third biggest chunk of your consideration in the decision-making model. And we take this, this personal experience thing and we kind of go, well, it's minimized. I mean, you're not going to get away from considering how you think and feel, but let's just put it over here in its corner, in its place where it rightfully belongs, where it can't do as much damage to your decision-making. I want to I propose to you today that that would make, help you make good decisions. But if you want to make God decisions, you have to give him a louder voice. So, work with me a little bit here. We believe that he speaks through the pages of Scripture, right? It's why every pastor, every Sunday school teacher, and every Christian influence you've had in your life has said to you again and again and again, read that book, read that book, read that book. Get familiar with it. Read it again and again and again and again until you know what it says and what it's trying to say. And you know what it isn't saying right? Scripture. We really do believe that, that God has breathed this and he's, he's guided his church down through history to help us have a set of reliable um, uh, documents by which we can come to understand him, his love, and his wisdom, and that this one is more reliable than, than others. I'm not suggesting that we change that today. Let's, let's give that a, a big old opportunity to speak into our decision-making, believing, however, that it isn't just about the content of those pages, but that God the Holy Spirit can guide you if you invite Him to as you, as you wade into the Scriptures. Uh, I think that the collective wisdom of the church, I do think that, the, that, that many of the ancients, and oh, well, let's just say all of you and your pooled wisdom is better than me and my wisdom alone. Really do believe that, that there's, uh, the scriptures teach us that there's, in, in many counselors, there's good wisdom and great advice, right? Your, your parents said it to you this way, two heads are better than one, right? Ask somebody, think about it, don't, don't, um, don't make all these decisions on your own. I do want to give a, a good place, a big, broad, sturdy place to the collective wisdom of the church down through the ages. Take a look at our culture today. Our culture, our culture today has thrown off any belief, any trust in the Scriptures, and in fact says we, we, we adamantly disagree with many things in the Scriptures, from morality to, to what makes people healthy and whole. How do you think that's working for us these days? Anybody think that, uh, that the United States of America and its culture, its post-Christian, post-biblical culture, is healthier, happier, and more productive because I'm just not seeing that. So I think it would be wise for the church to say, maybe we haven't get to the church today to say, maybe we have not given enough place to the traditional teachings of the church. Hmm. 
By the way, the Catholics are all applauding somewhere when I said the tradition of the church. Yeah, because they believe in this. Yeah. But what I want to do to this morning, in just a few minutes I have left, is to, to take these two, reason and the business of listening to God, and I want to suggest to you that um, perhaps it would be better for us to invert those two and give reason the smallest place in the formula for decision-making, and here's why. Not because I don't think that, that reason is a good thing, not because I think you should make irrational decisions, but I think that for so long, a bunch of people who claim to be the followers of Jesus have, uh, have been lost a little bit when it comes to decision-making. We've been afraid that God's Holy Spirit, if we really gave Him a voice, would call us to do things and make decisions that make us uncomfortable. That would, that would nudge us right out of our little fur-lined ruts in which we prefer to live. We've been worried that God's Holy Spirit would get carried away if I gave Him the chance to, and He might really speak big and strong and call me to do some things that I could not do on my own or that made people around me say, well, that's unreasonable. I might come off looking like God's fool if I let God's Holy Spirit really have a bigger say in how I make decisions in this life. I think that we have chosen reason to try to control God's Holy Spirit and try to control our fear and get to continue being the king of our own lives. I think that we have not trusted God's Holy Spirit to be as good as the Father is, I've, I've, since my, my very first day as your pastor, I've tried to teach you spiritual principle number one is God is not a jerk. I think we've largely believed that about the Heavenly Father. I went, I'm not so sure about the Holy Spirit. He can be kind of jerky. What if we actually believe that the Spirit of God came from the, the, the heart of the Father and He came to express God's goodness to us and that He could be trusted to speak to us that not only which is good, but which is best for us. I have watched God's Holy Spirit be given voice in the decision-making process in many of your lives. Or, or should I say, in the lives of many people who sat in this church at one point, but who aren't any longer because he uh, uprooted them. Do you, do you have a sense of how many pastors and teachers and missionaries and church planters and whatever else that this church has sent out there? Because it's a lot. It, it's a lot more than average. These are people who gave additional room to the voice of God and said, sometimes it doesn't make sense, Dad. I'm going to go anyway. Had a young, young man visit our home a couple of weeks ago, spent the night with us. He's trying to find, he was raised to be good and reasonable. He was trained in this quadrilateral approach, the old one. And his parents are saying to him right now, when he's in his 30s, that doesn't make sense. What doesn't make sense? He's trying to find a way to get to Afghanistan so that he can plant house churches and share the gospel. I'm telling you, that is not a reasonable decision. But I also have sat with this young man, and I'm telling you, it was breathed by God's Holy Spirit into his heart and his mind, and you cannot convince him otherwise. You know what he's going to do? He's going to go to Afghanistan. He found a bordering country that he can get into, and then met a guy who hunts wild boar on the border with Afghanistan. Kind of knows his way. 
Yes, that's the very kind of thing that, that I could tell you that would make you say, uh, no, let's put the Holy Spirit back in his corner so that he doesn't tell our kids to go to Afghanistan. Let, let's, let's put the Holy Spirit back over there and apply the clamp of wisdom uh, or of, of uh, reason upon him so that he doesn't say crazy things like change your life. But i got to tell you, it's been a long time since I've really been face-to-face with somebody who was more alive than the missionary who sat in my house the other day saying, pray for me, because I'm scared to death, but I know what God has said. And having heard the voice of His Holy Spirit, I'm going to obey. We're going to read the rest of the book of Acts, and as we do, you're going to find that the Holy Spirit says unreasonable things. Sometimes. Sometimes he just says the amen to good, reasonable things. But when he is given full voice, when he is given authority and we render our submission to him, when we become teachable, God's Holy Spirit will sometimes wake you up to things in the Scripture and remind you of some things that have happened in church history that make no sense whatsoever to those who are seeking comfort and efficiency But the story of the advance of the kingdom of God, the story of the salvation of billions of men and women, including every one of you who sits here today, came from a handful of people who said, listen to God's Holy Spirit. You can trust Him. You can trust Him. You can trust Him to lead you in God's ways. We made good decisions early in the church. Everybody applaud Matthias. He won the vote probably served the rest of his life faithfully, but but then somebody made a God decision a few chapters later in Acts. We're going to read about it. And it said, give authority to a guy who, oh, three days ago was killing Christians as fast as he could. Make that guy an apostle. That does not make sense. And the guy that the Lord revealed that to, Ananias, said, uh, Lord, reason This doesn't make sense. God said, right. Now go. And Matthias could have made a good decision and not went, or uh, Ananias could have made a good decision and not went and visited Saul. Instead, he made a God decision. And you and I learned this truth. It is by grace you have been saved through faith. Not by anything that you have done. Even your faith is a gift from God. Not by works so that you can't boast. All you can do is give thanks and give glory to God. We learned that truth because somebody made a God decision instead of a good decision. They allowed God's Holy Spirit to have free reign. So with all due respect to our Wesleyan forebears, I'm going to recommend to you today that you kind of wink and nod And you do a new thing. It's actually an old thing that predated the whole Wesleyan, the whole denomination, any of that stuff. That whatever you do, any decision that seems to have any import whatsoever, the final check on the list, consider what the scriptures teach. Consider the wisdom of the church down through the ages. Think about it. Ask some people for their wisdom. But when that's all said and done, you take you and your decision and your future and its outcomes and you take it before the Holy Spirit and ask Him, does this, is this your way or is it just mine? Is this the way you're leading or is this just me being careful? 
You still have a chance to bail out, by the way. You can be disobedient to the Holy Spirit. I mean, I wouldn't recommend it. But you still have the freedom once you have sought the voice of God's Holy Spirit. You still have the freedom to make a decision. I'm just going to tell you this. I, I have sometimes, many times failed in this because I know what to do, right? So I just do what, what I know needs to be done. But at least a handful of times in my life, I have said, I know it doesn't make sense. But I have heard from the Lord and I know it. And my parents have questioned it. And my friends have said, are you sure? Um, but that's how I came to Lewiston, Idaho. Because I made a God decision, not a good one. The good decision was stay in my little fur-lined nest where a church was saying, why don't you retire here? Write, write us a 25-year ministry plan and just do it. Took a $10,000 pay cut. That is not a good decision. It was a God decision. And he brought me here. And I'm so very grateful. Do you know what this is? This is better than safe. This is better than careful. I'm living knowing that I've walked in the ways of God. And you can too. I'm going to invite you to pray with me today, and you can do it back there. You can do it kneeling. It really doesn't, posture I don't think is really going to matter, unless you sense God's Holy Spirit telling you otherwise. But I just wonder if there are people among us who are facing a decision. You're not, you, you don't know what to do for sure. You, you, have, a, you have a default. Well, I'll do this if, if I don't know, if I don't hear, if I don't suddenly have a lightning bolt from heaven, I'll do this. I'll make a good decision. I just wonder if there are people among us who are, who are facing something, you know, of significance. And today, you'd like to maybe throw the dice, run a big risk. We're not going to literally throw dice here. That's, um, the, that's not how we hear the voice of the Lord. We hear the voice of the Lord when we stop and ask and listen. And so, you don't have to tell us your decision We'll let you keep that um, very, very personal and private. I just wonder, is there somebody here today who says, I'm facing a big one. And right here in the presence of my church family, I'm willing to say, I want to listen to God. Will you pray for me? And if you would, I'd invite you to just come right down front here and we'll pray for you. Nobody's going to ask your business. Nobody's going to afterwards say, ah, we're just going to trust that if you're listening to God's Holy Spirit, that God's Spirit won't be a jerk to you. That He'll actually give you some wisdom and some guidance. Yeah. Would you be willing to allow God's Holy Spirit to wreck your careful approach to life? In the hopes that you might, oh, what? Experience an eruption of the kingdom of God right into the middle of your life, your home, your work, your family. Your school? Some are. Stand with me and pray for them, would you? You, you? Some of you might want to come kneel with these good folks. Lord, 
all of our careful decisions still amount to us retaining lordship in our lives. We have said, Jesus, you are Savior, and we have said you are Lord, but we have retained for ourselves the right to make all the decisions and have told you too many times, ah, that's enough, be quiet over there. You have kneeling before you today, Lord, men and women who got up out of their seats because you've been speaking to them all along this morning. They have, they have good minds. It's not that they couldn't make a good decision. It's just that they want to make a God decision. They're feeling things very powerfully right now. Their emotions could carry them away. And, and so a reasonable person would say, ah, no, just shut that off and let's just make a reasonable decision. But instead today, they're bringing their whole person and everything that they're experiencing and they're surrendering it to you and saying, Holy Spirit, would you please come and speak? Would, would you shine some light on the path in front of me? Would you just help me know where I should step my foot next? Would you, would you please come and, and speak a word of warning if me and all of my wisdom is heading off the tracks? Would you please come and, and just... Correct me and show me where you want me to walk and live, how you want me to decide. I think what I think. I thank you for all of my, my wise advisors, but Lord, I want to hear from you today. And come to think of it, I've already made up my mind that I'll follow your will if you'll reveal it. I'm not going to hear from you, and then despise what you've said to me. So, we listen for your voice. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. May your kingdom come in my home. May your will be done in my family just like your will is done in heaven. May your kingdom come in my workplace. May your will be done among the people that I deal with every day, just like your will is done in heaven, perfectly. May your kingdom come to my school, Lord. May your will be done there, just like it's done in heaven, gladly, with joy, and with, with great benefit. Jesus, you taught us that there's a prayer that follows that. Give, give me this day my daily bread. I'm, I'm going to need the strength and the sustenance to walk forward and do what, what you have now revealed to me by your Spirit. I'm going to ask you, please, Help me not to be tempted to turn back away from what you've told me today. Don't lead me into that temptation. Lead me forward in obedience, I pray, and in confidence in your spirit to guide me and help. Deliver us from the evil one who will perch on our shoulders today and say, you got carried away, now be careful. That kingdom, Lord, it's yours. I don't get to be the king of it anymore. 
I, I resign and I, I submit to your wisdom, to your authority. The power is yours, but you said you'd lend it to us if we'd go and be your witnesses. And all the glory, we're going to make sure that goes back to you. We pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen. My friends, we have the Holy Spirit. Let's go this week and make some God decisions instead of some merely good ones. Then may His kingdom come in your lives, in your homes, in your families, in your work, uh, in your schools, in your teams, in your hobbies, and in your private moments. So may you know His peace this day and always. God's people said, Amen. Amen.